Welcome, everyone. Today on the podcast, we have Gauss. I've had a chat with him earlier on about NFTs, and that is precisely what we're going to be talking about today. I think Gauss has some pretty interesting insights about the NFT space, how to build NFTs, and how to trade NFTs. He's a coder, a builder, and a trader, so I'd love to pick his brains today. Before we start, let me just say, nothing here is to be taken as financial advice. Myself and my relations may or may not have positions in the projects discussed on this podcast. Do your own research, and this podcast is simply for educational and entertainment purposes. So having gotten that out of the way, let's, let us dive right in. So to jump off, can you give us an introduction of yourself, Jaws? What was your background? How do you get into crypto? And what was your first NFT purchase? Well, yeah, first and foremost, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. It's a, it's quite funny to see uh, my face move as, as as you speak as well. And so hopefully that's uh, not too bad for the viewers. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's very interesting to play around with these new avatars. It's been uh, quite a fun experience. Uh, so um, yeah, I'll happy to jump, happy to jump in and uh, talk about my background. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, I, I grew up doing a ton of math and uh, have sort of a, a deep sort of uh, machine learning and, and cryptography background. Um, and so you know, on the back of all the math camp T-shirts, when you're a, when you're a young guy, it always says you know Jane Street, DCR, Two Sigma. And so I had some sense that a lot of my smart math friends were going into trading um, when I was younger. And so I you know worked at one of those for a bit and. Worked at one of the big uh, crypto trading firms as well, um, helping uh, spin up some of their early quant ops and, and really got thrown into crypto um, in that sense. And so um, that's sort of my, my, my background. I'm now, now uh, building a lot of NFT primitives and, and doing a lot of stuff in the NFT space. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about here. Do you remember your first NFT purchase? Yeah, I think it was a crypto kitty back in... Uh, Probably December of 2017, um, back when they were uh, the, the, the hottest project at that time. I remember I uh, sitting in the back of a, a Stanford lecture that I snuck into uh, back at that time. And, and, and that's why I, I initially learned about that, that team and, and the projects. It was quite a fun experience back, back in those days. I see. Well, we're going to talk mostly about NFTs today, but for the less crypto savvy audience, perhaps we can start off with a simple question that all have in their heads, like what are NFTs and, or and most importantly, what is the point of an NFT in your view? Yeah, yeah it's a great question. It's a very important to sort of establish these fundamentals. So obviously uh, these are non-transferable tokens or, um, uh, you know, so, you know, there's a very technical definition of these and, and, and you can basically, you know, look up and, and see exactly the ERC-721 standard. And it's really a pretty uh, simple, you know, uh, maybe on the order of like, you know, 50 lines of code or something like this. And so if you if you really want to grok exactly what it is, I would really recommend uh, uh, looking in and in, in, in peeking at that. Maybe a, li a link could be uh, uh, included in, in the show notes. But at the highest level, NFTs are just cryptographically provable ownership of digital assets. And so this could be visual art, PFPs. It could be, you know, uh, the deed of the house that I'm standing in, or um, it, it could be sort of like all these, all these sort of like bespoke um, financial contracts and, and, and really anything. And so I think that it really is going to underpin very much of the, of the digital economy moving forward. And so it, it, it's a very important primitive uh, as, as we sort of move digitally. Okay, so earlier on this year, we've seen the emergence of decentralized NFT marketplaces like Looks Rare and X2Y2 and a couple of others. But um, like none of these, none of these decentralized marketplaces have really eaten into the market share of the giant OpenSea. We've also seen the launch of the Zora NFT marketplace protocol, and this you can see like 
the fact that they didn't uh, really take the market share of uh, OpenSea could be seen from the fact that they, um, from the fact that if you discount the volume you uh, see on these marketplaces for wash trading, there's actually not much there. So what do you think is missing? Why aren't people migrating? Why aren't DGENs and crypto savvy people moving away from OpenSea into decentralized marketplaces? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I think you definitely hit the nail on the head as far as a lot of this wash trading goes. I, I think incentives are very well aligned for people to want to do that. And I think that's, you know, a, a market failure that we're seeing over there. <clears throat> In terms of, you know, why it hasn't taken off and why it hasn't overtaken OpenSea, this is something that I think a lot about. Um, I think uh, <laughs> we can get into this uh, at uh, any, any level of depth, but I, I think it's really, um, there's a lot of core product to build in, and I could sort of work you through, you know, what I think would go into sort of a unnecessary um, NFT product, but you know there are a lot of these primitives to add and, and really just core workflows that I that I don't think that they've done correctly. I think fundamentally NFT marketplaces are too fragmented, right? And so we're seeing as sort of a meta trend within crypto uh, aggregation as being a very strong methodology, right? We're seeing with you know one inch on the AMM side aggregating a lot of uh, liquidity across all these sort of um, different. Um, uh, AMMs and and I, I even think at the highest levels we're going to aggregate across different protocols. I, I think the average user isn't going to know if it's routing through near Avalanche or maybe our Arbitrum is connect or congested for a particular moment. So we, we route it through Optimism or something like this. I think a lot of this is going to be abstracted away, and so um, I think I think an aggregation layer is going to be really really a crucial piece of that. And so, um, yeah, the, the user should really just have to look at, you know, one site instead of, you know, 12 for uh, all their NFT needs. Uh, and, and I'm happy to break down that, uh, the sort of like pipeline for the average NFT user. It, it's, you know, <laughs> there are too many different sites that they're, uh, that they're going through currently. Can you talk a little bit more about aggregators? What do they look like and um, how would you, the user experience look like? like and are there any uh, aggregators out there for NFTs right now? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so Gem is sort of the one that comes to mind. They're, they're very recent. Um, I built a lot of this internally in the Solana ecosystem. So because of my trading background, I built a ton of NFT trading infrastructure for Solana, integrated with you know SolSea and Digitalize and, and Solana and most recently Magic Eden. But I uh, did a lot of volume in the September, October, November era and ha happy to talk about that at any depth. But um, we internally built, built our own aggregator for the Solana ecosystem and, and really just being able to serve up all the NFTs in an ecosystem all in one place is a really killer product. And um, I, I, I think that's what the core in, uh, NFT experience is going to look like for the user and sort of the, the optimal case, right? It shouldn't just be, you know, the Solana NFTs, it shouldn't just be the ETH NFTs. I think they're going to be one website that, that, that serves up all of the NFTs that are in existence um, all, all, all in one place and, and, and make it easy for the user to navigate. I see. So let's talk, let's play a little game, yay or nay. I'm going to list you a series of features and then you're going to say yay or nay for them and perhaps give a couple of comments on what do you think about these features, like whether you, they should be included on your fate, on your ideal um, NFT marketplace slash aggregator and so on. So let's start right. with the first run. Finder's fee. So um, uh, a note, a finder's fee, say for example, sort of pioneered by Zora, and um, uh, a finder's fee is a mechanism that allows people to incentivize the market to find the eventual buyer of their NFT. This is set when you list an NFT and to earn a finder's fee, simply include one's address, either programmatically in a UI or by generating a link. Um, you'll earn that reward if you find the buyer. So finder's fee, yay or nay? 
All right, so my answer here is yay, and, and I can give you sort of a, 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 a high-level principle that I think, you know, will probably apply to a, a, a lot of these is that, you know, I, I really think getting more and more detailed and, and, and granular really makes these markets better and better. And so I think the finder actually really does play a, a core part of this experience for, you know, um, uh, getting these NFTs bought and sold and, and sort of bringing people into the ecosystem. And I think they should be compensated accordingly. So um, yay for, found, for finder's fee. Okay. Second one, non-custodial listing. Mm, yeah, very interesting. I'm a, I'm definitely of the, the you know, sort of like deep crypto uh, hypothesis. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm pro decentralization and I'm pro sort of, uh, yeah, not non-custodial, you know, uh, not your keys, not your crypto. And so uh, definitely uh, I, I would want our uh, users to, to hold their own. I see. Okay. Free NFT listing, no Google Forms or curation. Mm, yeah, I think... Uh, I think it's a good idea. I think um, uh, there's uh, obviously curation can can help uh, prevent a lot of you know, sp you know scams and, and fraud and, and sort of a lot of this stuff. And so there, there's a fine balance there, and, and it's a, a, a worthy trade off. And, and you know, adding some sort of verification, I, I, I think, is a really crucial piece. But um, I'm I'm definitely here for you know permissionless you know sort of like decentralized listing. And, and, and so I, I I don't think that this should necessarily be routed through you know a, a particular you know human centric. Uh, uh, you know, uh, perspective here. Okay. So, what about, uh, lazy minting? Yeah. Lazy minting is a good idea. I think it is, um, uh, pretty efficient and I, I, I think users, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there. Okay. Um, op uh, which one do you prefer? Open Zeppelin's ERC 721 or Soulmate's ERC 721? Yeah. Um, open Zeppelin is, is, is definitely like kind of legendary for like bringing forth uh, you know, the, the NFT era. And, and, and that's the one that I would recommend users look at uh, sort of initially, but I'm, I've been very impressed with the, with the soulmate developments. And, and so, you know, when I'm building out NFT projects myself, uh, that's the one that I, I use personally. Okay. Content encryption. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. This, uh, it reminds me of a numerize erasure product uh, or, or product where, you know, users would make predictions about, uh, you know, um, any sort of prediction, whether it's, you know, equities or, or weather or sort of like ar arbitrary predictions, right? And so um, they would build a reputation on chain and, you know, by being a better and better predictor, they're able to sell their predictions for, for more and more. And I, and I, and this is, you know, time locked in, in a very sort of a specific way. And so I, I, I think there's a lot to do in sort of marrying this with NFTs or, or, or something like this. And, and um, I think this area has been uh, underexplored. So um, definitely a, Okay, so the EIP 201981 royalty standard, and for those who don't know what this is, this is basically a function that returns information about the royalties that are set by the creator. Before this, royalties are um, distributed and recorded and administered by centralized exchanges through the database uh, solution. So say, for example, on OpenSea, if, uh, before, the ERs, before this EIP, they basically have a database and records have, uh, how everybody uh, uh, makes their, uh, sets their uh, royalties, royalty, not, uh, royalty percentages, and then they just uh, execute it centrally which means that if you buy if you sell your nft or transfer your NFT from OpenSea to another marketplace the royalties don't apply over there if you trade over there but with the eip 2981 uh, uh, standard as long as that marketplace supports that uh, calling that function the royalties will be respected so what do you think of this uh, feature 
Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. I, I don't think we should have to rely on, you know, centralized entities to, to pay creators. And, and if we can do this in, you know, sort of the decentralized world computer, I, I think that's absolutely uh, the, the correct way to go about this. So I'm very um, uh, excited about a lot of new NFT sort of EIPs and, and developments on that front. Okay. IPFS or royalties, uh, IPFS or Arweave? Oh, yes. I'm a, I'm personally more of a fan of Arweave. I, I hope this uh, doesn't... Uh, doesn't uh, cause any any tensions, but uh, I, I think they're both I think they're both great. I think um, I think there has been a lot of issues around permanence on IPFS, and 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 Arweave uh, definitely incentivizes users to uh, sort of like protect uh, the data for forever functionally. And so um, when when I you know listed meta, metadata for NFT projects, I've, I've used Arweave personally. Okay, uh, reflective royalties. So um, for those who don't know what they are, so an NFT collection is said to have reflective royalties if a certain percentage of the royalties collected by the creator through transaction volume are redistributed back to the holders of the NFT, sort of like SafeMoon, but um, just with royalties. It is sort of technically difficult to implement a relevant implementation, which I really encourage my audience to take a look at is moneypipe.xyz, a fantastic repo. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a great idea as well. I think... Um... Uh, it was interesting how it was implemented with SafeMoon, and, and obviously that had a strong PMF on the on the ERC twenty side, and and, and I, I think it definitely should uh, be uh, a core part of NFTs moving forward. Okay, final one: P two P NFT trading. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, this makes a lot of sense to me as well. You know, I think I would say that centralized clearinghouses are actually kind of important for a, a lot of marketplaces to, to function uh, correctly and, 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 and efficiently. Although I don't necessarily see any real issues with, with, with P2P and NFT trading. So um, yeah, if, if you just want to do a swap yourself and, and, and that can all be done through a, a particular contract. So I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's a great idea and, and also sort of underdeveloped. Okay, so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you would design your uh, your NFT marketplace. Like, um, you must have thought about this quite thoroughly. Like, what features you're going to include, what features you're not going to include, like, and and how the entire user experience is going to be like. Can you walk through us about how you're going to design your, the best NFT marketplace that you can imagine? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a very valuable exercise. So um, like I mentioned, I spent a lot of time thinking about Solana-based NFTs. I, I think that's sort of the the best developed from perhaps uh, perhaps like a PMF perspective or, or something like this, even though, you know, Ethereum obviously does the does the most volume, but that's the one that I that I know the best. Um, and so, you know, what are what are the core stages for an NFT, you know, user or trader over there? I think there are sort of like top five key features. And so they initially start and, and, and this is where I, you know, gesture with my hands. Uh, the avatar can't see it at all, but uh, that's OK. Um, yeah. So so the first one is the mint calendar. And I, and I think that's really the starting place for a lot of NFT users. And so, you know, on, on Solana in the early days, there were there were tons and tons. Um, and, and, and that's definitely number one. And so I, I think that's absolutely a core feature if you want to build the, the one-stop shop for all things NFTs. Number two is the Launchpad. Again, on Solana, everyone was basically building their own websites for this. Now Magic Eden is incorporating their Launchpad, and I think that's a good idea for them. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's absolutely a, a, a core piece of the puzzle there. Then obviously the Marketplace is, is number three, and that's sort of the core one. And that's something that OpenSea has built out and is, is, is really the, the sort of the core feature there. 
And then uh, number four is the rarity tooling. And so I think that's something that really got kicked off mostly by the Solana ecosystem, in my opinion, how rare is in um, uh, Moonrank and, 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 and some of these, I, I think are also uh, very uh, crucial. I think uh, they're also sort of uh, underdeveloped as well. I, I think a lot of these rarity toolings are, are quite naive. And so because of, uh, again, my trading background, I've built pretty robust pricing algorithms for all of these. And I, and I think it would be quite interesting actually to provide um, some sort of sense for um, uh, for uh, basically like um, for for just how, how valuable I, I guess the the that the um, exchange thinks these NFTs are because you know you can have something that is rare but also you know bronze instead of gold or something like this and and, and you can definitely learn a lot of these features so um, yeah the rarity tooling is number four and I think number five is definitely the trading stats and that's you know soul analysis did that quite well and. Um, and obviously, you know, OpenSea and others have, have incorporated that as well. And so those are sort of the five key steps that, I, that you would want to build, you know, all, all in one place. Like we mentioned about aggregation, I, I think that, you know, sort of killer NFT app will have listed all the NFTs on, on the planet, sort of all in one place. And I think like, that's, uh, that's definitely a table stakes to, to sort of be a candidate to, to be the best NFT exchange um, on, on the planet. I think Jim is doing a lot of interesting stuff with sort of low fee bundling. Where you can where you can buy a sort of bulk purchases of, of, of NFTs and and they're bringing down gas costs for that quite efficiently. Um, I'm thinking a lot about the Avalanche NFT ecosystem and I think there's a lot to do in terms of subnets and, and sort of like optimizing that experience over there. I'm uh, I'm quite bullish for Avalanche NFTs moving forward and I'm happy to explain why. Uh, I think they're basically you know right where you know Solana was six or nine months ago um, and 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 I think they're sort of like ripe to blow. Uh, I think you know everyone basically has this sense currently and so. Um, I, I think that's the ecosystem that I'm most excited about uh, moving forward. That's very interesting. I would like to ask a little bit more about the rarity tooling and your opinions on that. Specifically, what makes a rarity tool good and non-naive in your opinion? Oh, yeah. Great question. So um, a lot of the rar rarity tools, uh, like how rare is, for example, they'll, they'll literally just look at the you know attribute count. And, and, and so somehow, you know, more attributes end up, you know, being being more rare or something like this. But yeah, uh, then you just get all these, uh, you know, you get a top hat and you get a mustache and you get uh, sort of like all these different uh, features all, all, all together. And I think that's not exactly what you want when, when you want sort of like the, the rarest, you know, golden one. I think um, you, you, yeah, you have to have some sort of like probability of also not having that trade or, or, or something like this. And um, yeah, I, I think a lot of those purchases are, are quite naive. And I think a lot, this is a, a place that looking at actual trading prices is, is, is quite valuable. Um, and so, yeah, this is some standard, you know, clustering analysis or, or like, you know, you can do a lot of, you know, visual analysis as, as well on the ML side. Um, so yeah, <laughs> there's a ton to do there, but I think uh, that naive approach is sort of uh, mislead people, but there's also this reflexive property almost in like a Soros uh, sense where, you know, uh, the rare, the rarity rankings will actually sort of inform the price of these NFTs. And, 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 and we've seen, um, uh, cases where rarity tooling uh, will come out, you know, maybe days later or something like that. And it'll notably shift the sort of like price di distribution in the market, um, at, at least for Solana NFTs and, and for how rare is or, or, or Moonrank. And so um, it definitely has an effect. And so getting these things right actually does uh, affect the price distribution of, of the uh, NFT marketplace. I see. So let's talk a little bit about um, a specific in a class of NFTs or a particular 
uh, class of NFTs called soulbound NFTs, which I think were first talked about by um, Vitaly Buterin. And I think uh, you also built an implementation. You were you were quite interested in this whole thing. Can you tell us what they are and how they can be implemented and why are they of interest? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think Vitalik wrote this essay about six weeks ago, and uh, it, it speaks to the fact that you know there are some class of NFTs uh, that uh, don't necessarily uh, need to be transferred. And, and in fact, I think this is a property that, that hurts them in, in, in some cases. And so imagine if you complete a course uh, and, and they issue you a certificate, you know, claiming that you uh, completed the course, you know, you shouldn't be able to buy a Harvard degree on open markets. Uh, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. And so, um, yeah, there's some class of NFTs that, that should be bound to you perpetually. And, and I think that's actually a, a feature and not a bug. Okay. So how do you implement it? Do you just remove the transfer function? Yeah, uh, fr frankly, it's actually pretty straightforward. I, I, I think that kind of gets you, uh, uh, yeah, it, it really does get you there. Um, there, there, potentially things to add on to it, but, but that, that's really it. Okay. So like when I first saw this uh, idea, I felt, oh, okay, it makes sense to me. It's kind of interesting. But when I start thinking more about it, like say, for example, when you think about objects in the real world that sort of map onto uh, soulbound NFTs, like say, for example, uh, objects or souvenirs that represent very special uh, experiences like um, war medals or Olympic medals, hmm. like there's no point for, like you said, there's no point and it's ridiculous for you to be able to buy yeah. an authentic one from the market if somebody's able to sell it. But um, I'm reminded of cases where um, World War One veterans who are not very well taken care of in the interwar period where they have to sell their medals to make a living or uh, Olymp Olympians who, again, um, didn't do very well for themselves after they, um, uh, they've won the medal. They have to sell their medal uh, to, well, to keep themselves afloat. I'm thinking of whether um, a soul-bound NFT with the transfer function removed actually, um, well, it clearly is not able to, to um, replicate those functions, but it probably should, right? So the value of, the, of a soul-bound NFT is not so much... Um, the value of a soulbound NFT should come from the from its uh, minting origin and and its and its special case, special place in time and space and in and the event that generated it, but not so much for that uh, that it cannot be transferred. So, what do you think about that? How can we replicate that? It's probably going to be a non-trivial exercise to actually build that, right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I think you hit the nail on the head there. I, I think there's a very interesting middle case, and I think uh, when I've sort of thought about this middle case, I think. You know, perhaps you know, the the heritage of, of of an NFT like really does matter, and you know whether or not this was you know a, a war medal that was sort of dedicated to a, a, a particular person, right? If we uh, stay with the you know ERC seven twenty one standard, uh, and and that somehow you know the the owner gets transferred to someone else, and then totally loses the uh, the connection to the uh, to the initial person, I I think that's a real shame, and so there should be you know perhaps. Uh, some way of, of maintaining a, a chain of all, all the you know historical owners. And, and obviously you can look um, on, on chain as well and, and, and just see all those transactions. And so maybe that doesn't need to be included in, in the metadata of the NFT, but I think you hit the nail on the head where, you know, I, you know, uh, perhaps you saw Michael Jordan play like his first game or something like that. And, and in the real world, you have like a, 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 a ticket of this and, and it's very special to you personally or, or, or something like this. It's, you know, it seems like you should, you know, that's a, a particularly special moment for, for you personally. And, you know, I, it would be hard to imagine someone else having, you know, more joy at, at, at this particular sort of like uh, externally sort of ran, random moment that, than you do. But um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it's possible that you, know, you should basically have the, 
have the heritage of uh, built into the NFTs. And, and frankly, this might already be shown on chain. So, um, yeah, that, that's how I frame it. Okay. So I think uh, so about NFTs is a very interesting uh, and probably underdeveloped idea in the NFT space, probably an innovation that needs uh, more in, uh, development. Another similar NFT innovation that quite a number of people have been talking about and a number of projects are already implementing is um, NFT rentals and the opportunities they represent to the NFT space. So um, there are a couple of models. So um, what do you think about, what is your favorite implementation and do you which one do you think is going to win out against the rest? Or do you think that there is going to be a plethora and a diversity of NFT rental models that they're just going to exist for different prototypes and protocols? Sure. Yeah. Great, great question. So I would split the NFT rentals into, into two classes. And so uh, the first class, and this is the one that I think was discussed uh, first in, in, in the general, you know, crypto Twitter e ecosystem. And uh, uh, that was basically borrowing and lending against a collateralized NFT where you're borrowing ETH or, 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 or something of the sort. Um, and so uh, that's definitely one, one type of borrowing and lending uh, with respect to your NFTs. And if you want to borrow and lend your actual NFT where you're, you know, renting it out or something like this, where you're actually, you know, uh, permissions, permissionlessly lending your, your NFT to a, a friend, a colleague, a stranger, or something like this for, you know, a, a, a concert that they can attend or some token gated event that you're out of town for. I, I think this is actually quite an important primitive. Um, and so, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely quite useful. And so, um, as far as, you know, which model I, I think would work well, I think, I think there are basically two, uh, you know, uh, another two cases here. So, um, if the NFT has already been created, let's say you want to lend out a, a crypto punk and someone wants to flex it on their Twitter or, or something like this, uh, you know, uh, you're already sort of locked into the ERC 721 standard. And I think it's, uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's very hard to sort of get around that. And so I think. The, the case that I've thought the most about, it was just basically collateralizing that NFT where uh, they put up, uh, you know, they pay you know, a, a fixed amount for, you know, maybe a week or something like that. Um, and then they also put up the collateral where, you know, if they don't return the NFT, if they somehow lose it or burn it or, or sell it or something like that, it's effectively as if they had purchased the NFT, um, perhaps at, at a premium. Uh, and so I think that model is what we're sort of locked into if it's already been minted as an ERC-721 standard. I think moving forward, you know, we should create a standard where uh, renting is actually part of the, the initial contract and this sort of like, you know, time-based uh, uh, rental is actually, you know, a, a function that can be called in the contract. And so um, that's what I felt uh, is, is far more capital efficient than, than putting up all, all the collateral that's uh, necessary to effectively purchase the whole thing. So um, that's how I think about that. Okay. I want to ask a little bit about the time component of a NFT rental. I'm not a particularly good dev, but as far as I know from the... Um, from when I first started as Solidity you know, several months ago, time has always seemed to be a very, very tricky um, thing in Solidity. It seems to be a, com a, a component or an object that uh, is open uh, for exploit and um, hacking. So I, I've been sort of um, warned by people to try to not... Um, use any time, any component that is dependent on time in any smart contract that I code. The other the other thing that I should stay away from is for loops. So uh, what do you think about it? Does that understanding still stand as of today? Or do you think that um, there are still problems with uh, dealing with time in solidly smart contracts? 
Yeah, I, I think that's a definitely great uh, security advice for sort of uh, you know a, a new solidity dev, and and I, and I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's definitely something to be to be cautious of, uh, especially your for loops that uh, that you mentioned. I do think that there's a lot of interesting t stuff to do with with respect to time, but there are also interesting ways of of you know uh, getting around it. Um, so. I'm trying to think about the NFT rental protocol in the context of, of you know, removing time as a variable here. And I'm wondering if that is even possible, at least with the collateralization method that, that we discussed, um, uh, without introducing perhaps like a third party who has to sign off and, and um, you know, had the, and, and their vulnerabilities there. Is this something that uh, you, have, you have some thoughts on? Um, by removing time, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think it seems like like rental by itself is intimately tied to time, right? It, it, by definition, renting is yeah. gaining an asset for a, a short amount of time. So if you remove time, it seems to be impossible to implement any kind of rental. So it has to measure some kind of times, either on the Ethereum blockchain or by calling some kind of uh, Oracle or it has to derive some, it has to access some time information from somewhere. So with yeah. that time, it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to make sense. So I suppose that is sort of the reason why people were so skeptical about NFT rentals, because without any secure implementation of time, you just can't do this thing, can you? Yeah, it, it, exactly. And so I think um, using, using standard Ethereum block time is probably safer, in my opinion, than, than using an Oracle, but it, it, it depends on, you know, uh, you know, a, a lot on, on the implementation of the Oracle. It just seems like there are probably far more uh, d dimensions across which, um, or, or even, you know, surface area across which to, to attack the Oracle. And so um, standard Ethereum block time uh, seemed fine in my implementation, but uh, now, now that I think about this more, I will, uh, I'll, I'll look back into it, but I, I think it should be, I think it should be fine. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about what NFT rentals are actually good for? Like um, for our viewers who may not have uh, the imagination or the, um, the, the foresight to actually see how, where this thing will go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, like I mentioned at the start, when we were talking at a very high level about, you know, cryptographically provable ownership of, of digital assets, you know, uh, eventually we will also, you know, tie these things to physical assets. And so, you know, the deed to the house that I'm standing in, right, you know, <laughs> I should be able to open open my door with, with some, you know, you know, provable ownership of my house. And if I want to, you know, rent my house out to you or something like this, this is actually something that we can, that a uh, transaction that can happen on chain. And then, you know, now your phone opens the door and, and, and mine does not for, you know, a, a week, a month or sort of uh, whatever the term is of, of the rental. And so that's a very standard physical world application. I think as we move into, um, you know, more digital worlds, you know, in-game items, for example, if you want to, you know, you don't have to pay for, you know, a, a full kit in, in, in Fortnite or something like this, or imagine you want to buy a digital sword and you don't want to, you don't want to pay the full, full price. You just want to have it for a week and, and try it out or something like that. Um, that that's absolutely something that's going to be deeply in, integrated into our, our digital experiences. And so yeah, this is one of the, uh, one of the primitives that's probably, you know, older than civilization, right? You have some sense of, 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 of renting out a, a thing to a person and, and, and you basically have to collateralize it in some way or, or assume some, you know, social uh, debt or, or, or something like this. And so, uh, yeah, I would think, yeah, because it's so old and, and, and so ancient, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that it's just now sort of like seeing the light of day. And, and I think it's going to play a very important role moving forward. I see. So as I understand, and as you mentioned, you have a background in trading. So let's talk a little bit about that. What did you trade and what's yeah. your favorite strategy? 
Sure, yeah. Um, so we, we mentioned the NFT trading uh, uh, quite a bit on here, and so I'm, I'm happy to you know uh, keep talking in that direction. I think there's a lot of interesting uh, work to do, and you know, uh, <laughs> so it, I'll, I'll, I'll say first, you know, in, in the very early days, it, it was quite interesting and, and easy to basically, um, you know, if someone lists something egregiously below the floor, you have some trading system that, that picks it up and, and you know pennies the floor, and that's basically you know V1 as a trader is just like good fast execution and and building out those sorts of systems. As you sort of uh, get uh, more and more complex, I think there's a lot of interesting, you know, cross exchange stat arb to do, uh, where, you know, within a collection, there are these characteristics that trade approximately at this price, which are is cheap over on one exchange and, and rich on another exchange. And you can uh, you can buy low and, and transfer it over and, and sell high. And you can basically do this uh, all day for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so um, I've seen uh, the, the counterparties in the Solana NFT trading space are, are actually not that sophisticated. Uh, what I've seen so far, and so um, I, I, you know, this isn't my game anymore. I'm uh, sort of off the building, and so I'm uh, happy to <laughs> happy to talk about uh, the, the real opportunities there. Um, NFTs aren't liquid, right? They are well, they're mm, very illiquid. If we just if we ignore the NFT liquidity solutions out there. So, how does that the fact that they're not very liquid uh, impact? the trading strategy that you can generate for NFTs? Like, how does NFT trading differ from trading, say, for example, equities or derivatives? Sure, yeah, yeah. It, it's quite a different paradigm than uh, something quite uh, liquid like equities or options or, or any of these super liquid derivatives. Um, I would say it's almost, uh, the illiquidity uh, definitely creates some um, similarities to maybe even like a, like a money ball type situation where you're, you know, buying and selling uh you know, baseball players or basketball players or, or, or something like this, where they're sort of discrete objects and they're obviously non-fungible. It definitely has doesn't have the same sort of interrelation where, you know, you're constructing a baseball team and you need, you know, these these positions or something like this. I, I guess if you're thinking about covariance within your portfolio, you actually, um, they're actually, they are not sort of, sort of independent and you're not just, you know, EV maxing. And so you do have to construct a portfolio in a way that maybe you would construct a baseball team or something like this. Um, but uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you know, time to liquidity is actually uh, a very important function to um, to think about and, and and to really get right. Um, uh, I, I guess the naive approach is, you know, you would you know you would come up with some price for the NFT and and then wow, like hey, like we we price the NFTs and and that's amazing. We're we're, we're so smart. And then you uh, you sit there for a second, and you say, okay, like now what what listing price do I put right? Uh, and this is actually sort of sort of non trivial. You have to think about. Well, you know, if I list it at exactly what I think it's what I think it's valued at, and in, in, in whatever sense you generate that, um, uh, then you know, then you basically don't make any any EV on, on, on that trade. And, and if you list it far lower, you're sort of losing on the trade, but you're also more likely to get liquid faster, right? And so, you know, uh, like I mentioned about you know traders come coming in and automatically picking something up on, on the order of you know seconds or, or, or less if it's really really low. Um, you can really think about this, you know, monotonically increasing function of of, of price and, and, and time to liquidity, and so really getting the shape of that correct and and uh, being very thoughtful about that is 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 important. That, that's a lot to unpack. Let's talk a little bit more about that. So, for those of us who are not Americans, can you explain to us what is a money ball situation? We don't uh, play baseball. We don't have any baseball here. So, can you explain to us what is a money ball situation and why do you think it is comparable to NFTs? Yeah, yeah, a great question. So uh, I'm alluding to the Michael Lewis book and then uh, now, now a movie about the Oakland A's where um, uh, it was sort of 
some of the earliest quant work that was applied to the to the field of baseball and, and what's called sabermetrics. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it, it's basically, you know, applying quantitative methods to, uh, you know, buying and selling and, and trading uh, baseball players. Okay, so in this particular case, the in this particular analogy, the baseball players would map to the NFTs. So you apply the uh, quantitative methods that people have developed for trading baseball players. That doesn't sound so right. There are people <laughs> after all. So you apply that um, you apply that methodology onto trading NFTs, treating NFT NFTs like baseball players in the same regard. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's correct. I think. Uh... It's, it is uh, a nice analogy in some senses and, and it sort of like loses in, in, in other senses. Um, uh, so, sort of like we were talking about the portfolio construction and, and cohesion on the team and, and sort of all that, you know, uh, there are definitely like very human aspects to, uh, you know, how you would construct your baseball team and all that. So I, I don't want to map it on too, too tightly, but, but it is an interesting map as compared, you know, it's not exactly trading equities is, is what I mean. I suppose another difference between the Moneyball situation and the NFT situation is that NFTs themselves do not generate cash flow yet, whereas money, whereas baseball players, they generate cash flow for the team when they win and when they get sponsorships and so on. Maybe the um, the mapping will will improve further on when NFTs start to be useful in, say, for example, a game or whatever protocol that uses them to generate cash flow and so on. Sure, so, yeah. I, I think more, more and more NFTs are implementing staking and, and, and giving rewards to the token holders. Um, and, and, and some of the yay or nay uh, uh, features that we had uh, discussed. And, and uh, even if you look at Salon Art, uh, you, you really have to think about some of the, like, the bespoke differences between these. Um, Salon Art has their bold badgers, which effectively, you know, if you own 10 of them, then it's whatever, you know, 25 bips for your trading fees. And if you own 20 of them, then it's 20, 20 bips or something like this. And so um, each of these NFTs have their own sort of like DeFi-ish complexities on, on top of them. Um, so yeah, that, that, they definitely get quite custom. Okay, so um, I want to ask a little bit more about what we just discussed. Um, can you explain to us what is time to liquidity? Sure, yeah. Um, that's the approximate uh, sort of expected time at, uh, from which you know you list the NFT to uh, uh, um, ha having a sale. And so one interesting thing is, you know, and, and you learn this when you're sort of like an equities trader or something like this, you want to, you know, fade your, fade your asks and bids uh, at, at particular uh, information. And so you would you would think that you know imagine you have a bunch of NFTs listed on, on, on a particular in a particular collection, um, and imagine there's you know very little volume you know every minute or hour that goes by you're sort of you know less and less likely to, to continue getting more volume on this uh, on this exchange because it's you know auto correlated auto correlated in interesting ways that the the liquidity is, and so you want to basically fade your your offers um, every hour or something like that in, in very minute ways. Yeah, you have to think about, you know, the listing fees and, and, and really run that calculation. But um, yeah, so you will, you'll, you'll, you'll fade your offers sort of as, as liquidity dries up. And as liquidity increases, you are sort of more probable to, to, to get liquid. And so you want to basically, you know, maximize your uh, expected return uh, by sort of like in increasing the price of your NFTs. And you have to think about this in an even more nuanced way where, you know, within particular characteristics, let's say that, you know, uh, some whale comes in and they pick up a, 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 a very famous one or something like that. Uh, the odds are high that NFTs with those same characteristics are more likely to, to, to trade in the coming, you know, minutes, hours or, or, or days. And so you'll, you'll, you'll increase those offers as well. And so that's some sort of, uh, you know, a standard uh, trading that I'm really not seeing hardly anyone do. Um, 
what are some really weird NFT ideas that you have come across that you look forward to being implemented in the near future? Mm. Yeah, I, I think Paradigm has had a lot of sort of a very interesting, uh, almost like DeFi-ish or, or very fractionalization-focused NFTs. I, I'm sure people are, or, or maybe not, if, if you're not, you should uh, look into, you know, Ricks and Crisp and Martingale shares and Floor Perps. Those are some some very interesting ones that uh, were, were put forth by uh, uh, Dave and the Paradigm team. Um, I think they're quite sharp and, and, and definitely worth exploring. Um, we've thought a lot about, you know, like a firm style, you know, buy now, pay later situation for NFTs where you can um, uh, imagine you want to buy this in-game item or something like that. You want to pay over five chunks over over five weeks or something like this. I think that's absolutely something that's going to be implemented in the same way that we've seen this in traditional markets. Also, I think there's a, a place for an anti-rug protocol. For example, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, most of these NFT collections are, are, are minted by mostly anonymous founders who are getting a massive payoff right, right up front. And so they're not well incentivized to do the things that they promise, right? And so if they have this big roadmap, you should actually have the NFT holders vote um, on, on, on when each step of the roadmap has, has been completed and, and, and deploy capital accordingly. So um, yeah, I think there are tons and tons and tons of these NFT primitives um, that are uh, basically just sitting around uh, waiting to be implemented. And so uh, that's what I'm uh, quite focused on these days. I think it's very interesting that you should mention DeFi and NFT so closely together because in my conception, they the two things have been mostly separated. Like the innovation on in DeFi has so far not been carried through or implemented on NFTs. But um, for example, the, the examples that you mentioned, for example, uh, floor perps for NFTs or uh, fractionalizing NFTs for them to be uh, built, built upon by what we're familiar in DeFi is really interesting, right? So what can you give us some more clout and color as to what are some possible DeFi protocols that can be built on top of NFTs that you expect to see come out to come out in the coming months? Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think we're going to we really are going to see a, a re-merging of NFTs and DeFi in, in, in very like colorful and interesting ways. So um, I think floor purposes is, uh, you know, rolls off the tongue quite well, but you actually, you know, wouldn't want uh, it implemented sort of in, in the naive way where, where the purpose is tied to the actual floor price of these NFTs. It's very sensitive and, and anyone can sort of, you know, listen to NFT at, you know, 0.01 of uh, uh, whatever, uh, whatever token that you're using to, to nominate this. And so it's actually quite sensitive uh, or to, to manipulation. And so you would have to be very thoughtful about uh, how exactly you want to construct the perp. And so maybe it's some sort of, uh, mean of you know the the middle two deciles or something like this, or uh, you you can get like more and more thoughtful. Um, there's definitely some some math to do there in terms of um, basically maximizing s stability here um, and 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 like reducing sensitivity in, in the sort of um, most uh, in a way that would require the most capital for manipulation or something like this. It doesn't it doesn't mean that you know it could be manipulated, but it it. Uh, it uh, definitely is important to get this right. Um, and so from that, you know, once we have perps for, you know, crypto punks or board apes or sort of, sort of what have you, you know, now the average user can, can participate in, and sort of, a, you know, own sort of uh, access to the, you know, upward or, or downward movement of these things. Uh, I think in terms of fractionalization, they can actually not only own access in this, you know, perpetual futures type way, but actually they can own legitimately, you know, uh, 10 bips of, of, a, of a crypto punk or something like this if, if they choose to, to fractionalize one of these. And, and uh, yeah, there are interesting ways of sort of recombining this. I think this is well discussed in Rick's, um, the, the Paradigm uh, essay. So yeah, we're, we're, we're going to see these things uh, fractionalized and then uh, reconnected in, 
in sort of all, all, all these different ways. And so um, it'll, it'll be crazy when we have NFTs for, you know, all, all, all these different um, items in the real world, real, real world or, or the digital world where imagine they're NFTs for your favorite coffee shop or something like this. I think we're going to see a lot of social NFTs where maybe Chipotle or Burger King, you know, we're going to see a lot of these uh, brands buy their own NFTs. And so imagine if you can go along like Tex-Mex or something like that uh, through perps of, you know, like, uh, you know, particular restaurant NFTs or something like this, or, you know, you think, you know, Chinese, you know, Chinese food is, is really going to hit in the next, you know, coming weeks and, and you want to make a, a particular bet and have exposure to like different cuisines or something like this. Like that's sort of a, a very random uh, uh, example of like how, how deep and how specific our ability to sort of like have access to these different, um, to these different, I, I don't, I don't even want to say sectors. It's like beyond sectors, but um, yeah, these baskets of assets. We're coming to the end of this discussion all about NFTs. So before we end, let's just ask one question to summarize all of that. Like, considering the fact you have thought so much about NFTs and how the, and the space and its trading, so what are some projects that you're building to implement all of that philosophy? Yeah, so I'm, I'm currently uh, in R&D building this uh, exchange called Kepler, which we're very excited to launch uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. I think... Uh, we, we, we've got a lot of good stuff uh, built out and I think people will be uh, very, very happy with a lot of the work that we've done. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. Can you tell us anything more or is it going to be yeah. a secret until you release any more information? Um, I think, you know, uh, there, there's a lot that we want to do and, and, and a lot that's, you know, uh, sort of uh, going to unfold. And so I guess I'll leave it, leave it at that for now. But uh, okay, you know, <laughs> launching uh, pretty soon. So it should be, should be exciting. Okay. Well, that's all, folks. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for coming on to our podcast. And for our listeners, if you found this interesting, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Follow me on Pyrite and follow Gauss if you can find their Twitter, Medium and Discord. Well,